Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and with me always is Derek Brissett and Stu Hardy. And uh, before we get started, we first want to offer our condolences to the Leg family uh, from Kingston, Ontario. Unfortunately, um, Scotty Leg, uh, who's 16 years old, uh, big fan of rugby. Um, you know, his parents said that rugby was his life. Um, unfortunately, passed away in a uh, car accident. Um, he played, you know, uh, in Kingston uh, with the Panthers and also with the uh, Eastern Ontario Rugby Union team out of Ottawa. So we want to uh, offer our condolences um, to the Leg family and also to his uh, teammates with the Panthers and, you know, the Eastern Ontario team. So, uh, you know, we can't really say a lot, you know, when a life like this is taken so young, we just hope that everyone can find peace. So, uh, you know, God rest your soul, Scotty. Um, gentlemen, We've got a few things to talk about. Um, you know, we've had a couple little tournaments uh, start and finish in the last week or so, and we've uh, we've had some a little bit of news from the Toronto Arrows. And I think the first thing uh, that we'll start with is with the Arrows. Um, so rugby in Ontario, rugby Ontario, and the Toronto Arrows have partnered to launch a junior academy. So uh, from their press release. Um, it is a, they say it's a joint created by the provincial sports governing body and Canada's first professional rugby union team. Um, the non-residential Ontario blues junior arrows Academy will act as an extension of rugby Ontario's winter skills Academy where selected under 15 to under 18 athletes will receive an additional 26 sessions, 13 technical tactical and 13 strength and conditioning from October to April. So, so what what the arrows are essentially trying to do is they're trying to, you know, fill in that gap where rugby's not being played, and you know we just had a long layoff of no rugby. So, uh, the the arrows are kind of finding a little little niche uh, to get their 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 name out there and start an academy. Now, my first question to you guys is: Is this where the arrows are putting money where their mouths are? You know, they have talked a lot when when talked about their business plan is that they wanted to focus on the grassroots um and unfortunately you know they start they, they originally had to start building their own team they had to build the arrows they had to develop their own you know business um so this is really their first big um four way into grassroots rugby programs other than sponsoring you know offsa and other events like that so how do you guys feel about this well i think um, first of all, I think like they've been doing a lot of grassroots stuff. I mean, maybe they haven't had this necessarily like an academy like this before, but they have been doing like, you know, as when we interviewed Andrew Ferguson, part of the reason um, we had we scheduled the interview at that time was because he said he had to come back from an Oakville Crusaders practice uh, that he was running. So like the, the Arrows have been doing a ton of grassroots level stuff, I think. For sure. And this is just their first like it's, we it's are running academy. this. Yeah, exactly. Um, they, they've been they've been very active in, in going out into the rugby community and having their players coach and you know being presence in, in events and stuff like that. Like like the the the. 
TRIF's uh, Rugby in the City uh, event. They were there for that, and they had some arrows playing in that. But this is really their first, like, all right, we're working on this with Rugby Ontario. This is going to have our fingerprints all over it. Yeah, and I think I think it's a good thing to see, man. I think the arrows, as well as you know, the Free Jacks or Utah or NOLA uh, or Rugby ATL or any of the other uh, San Diego as well. There's been a lot, and uh, Houston can't forget Houston Rugby HTX to follow along with the three coded city rugby names that have been sp- sprawling up. Um, <laughs> but like, there's a lot of MLR teams that are starting to really kind of dive into the, uh, the Academy programs. Obviously we saw the free Jacks um, a couple of weeks ago announced they were taking a deep dive into that with their 13 uh, programs stretched across the entirety of the new England region. Um, I think, I think it's one of the things that MLR teams in general, like not just the arrows have to really do is they have to start, you know, identifying those, the, talents of the kids that have the potential to become elite talents in North American rugby, trying to identify them at an earlier age and figure out, you know, where they can fit into that high performance environment. And I think, you know, when we've been talking to a lot of the arrows players and stuff, it's like, you know, there, there are some of those guys that, you know, played like a high level of hockey or something like that as well. And, you know, they, when you look at other sports in our country, especially hockey, it's like, if you want, if you have those aspirations, you have a clear, like, I have to do this. I have to, you know, I have to play, you know, in the GTHL, I have to play, you know, triple a, um, I have to play, you know, then I can get drafted and then I can play in the OHL and then I can play, you know, in the AHL and then I can play in the NHL or just skip the AHL or whatever. You have that path, um, that all the players can see. Um, and I think right now, like the key thing is for rugby or rugby Ontario, the Toronto arrows, and then any of the other American teams though, is also, you got to show the kids that path, right? Because it's still a new sport and be like, Hey man, like there's a future for you to play professional rugby. And I mean, you can kind of even look like they're bringing back, you know, one of the coaches that was announced for the central team is Brett Bukaboom. Um, so it's like, you kind of like you, you're bringing in like capped players to help coach these kids as well. Um, and then obviously they have, um, you know, like Corey Hector heading it up on the arrow side, um, Sean Maderos heading it up on the Ontario blues or on the rugby Ontario side. Um, so it's like, you get like those great rugby minds that, can actually, you know, aid that development. And I think, you know, you just have to put some of these kids don't like, I wish there was something like an arrows rugby Academy. Like when I was in high school playing rugby, cause like that would have been awesome to have, but like we didn't have it. Um, and I, I like, that's what I think. I honestly, like, I think that's, that's great that, you know, you have this group of kids um, around 16 ish years old that are getting this opportunity to learn from some of the best coaches in the province. Um, and like, and like some of those guys are capped players, players that have played, I'm assuming, you know, with the Toronto arrows, man, get some of the arrows players out to these training sessions, um, having it divided in the East central West is also makes it more convenient for the players themselves to get to those training sessions um it's kind of similar to in a way it's kind of similar to what new england did right where it's like you can kind of like regionalize all the training groups and stuff and then you know i mean in a post-covid world maybe you can figure out ways to kind of maybe bring the like you know if you keep doing this maybe there's a way to like bring them together and we can do like you know within the arrows blues academy you can kind of go like let's have an east versus central game or a central versus west game or west versus east kind of things um and you know you can maybe like do a weekend or something where the arrows academy teams can maybe like play each other to some extent although 
the list of players. I'm not sure exactly if that would work mathematically um, based on how many players are in each regional group. Yeah, but the like, east the east is a little smaller than the, yeah, the other two. As, yeah, as I get your point would be geographically, but like you know maybe there is the opportunities that they can come in and they can play a game like in front of like say Chris Silverthorne or something can come and like help scout it and stuff. I think it also too it's like realistically um, how many sorry Dad can you correct me how many players were invited to this academy? Do you have that number in front of you? 41 athletes representing 15 Ontario clubs. All right, cool. So like if you're if you're looking at some of these kids, right? You can bring like you can bring in like the Arrows coaches and it's like here's some, like 41 of some of the best you know, young rugby players in Ontario, let's go get a look at them and scout them. And, you know, you can hopefully, you know, put them through that pathway and bring them up. And eventually they could become Toronto arrows. Um, So it's brilliant. I mean, I'm all for any club teams. I'm all for any MLR teams creating Academy programs, especially the ones that target um, not just like some of those guys that just couldn't quite crack the full MLR roster, but especially like the youth players, the high school age group um, that are going to be the guys that can be on your roster in maybe five, uh, five to 10 years, or I guess specifically for high school, hopefully about maybe, you know, yeah, five to 10. Let's go with that. (laughs) Uh, now, Stu, my question to you is, you know, what can a, a strong academy system do for a t- team? You know, what are the, the, the dividends that, that the Arrows could see down the line from setting up a strong academy system? I think it's ultimately going to give um, options for the Arrows because that's the th- if the um, coaches say that if you – ever want a headache you want to have a selection headache because you've got so many great players available to choose from um i also want to say it's even if all 41 of these players go through the junior academy into the senior academy that's already in place um they won't all be selected for the arrows just because 41 doesn't fit into a match day 15 and as well that there may be other teams in mlr or maybe even um, across the Atlantic, looking at uh, the development process and being able to um, pick out the players that they need in their squad. But having that continual growth and communication uh, through the academy setup from the juniors into the seniors and into the arrows themselves, it helps prepare the players towards that professional environment. And it also familiarizes these junior academy players with the playing style and that would play into not only the arrows play style but would benefit the arrows in terms of on-field um, performance and off-field uh, training and progression and you know we've, we we kind of have seen it this off season that um, the arrows have kind of gone out and filled spots of need with players from outside Canada and outside of Ontario, you know, we have a very, very strong South American contingent. And the nice thing with this Academy is that, you know, in 10 years, if MLR is still around and uh, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, it still is this Academy can help fill those needs. You know, they can start saying now it's like, okay, you know, we know that there's a deficit in, you know, fullbacks and, and fly halves. Let's start really developing some guys that we think that, can fit that mold now. So it'll be interesting to see how this all kind of works out. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that I think will be interesting to see as we get, you know, as we dive more into the future of MLR, like maybe five to 10 years, we are seeing that a lot of the teams, as we said, have started to do these academy programs and there are kids that are like, you know, um, 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, I think the free jacks even go even younger to try to get like some of the younger kids um, into their programs and stuff too, or at least just playing rugby and hopefully having a ton of fun while they're doing it. Um, but I think the interesting thing is going to be is Stu kind of touched on, right? Like in, in Europe, all the pro rugby teams and most of the leagues there, it's like, they don't do a draft, right? So everybody has academies in North America, all the major sports, all the five major sports leagues, um, they all do drafts. So like, not like nobody, the NHL doesn't own, there's no academy teams, right? There's a minor league system, but there's no academy teams. So there's no way to like, you're not identifying a 16 year old kid to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, right? You have to, they're playing in the OHL and then eventually they get drafted when they're 18. Um, so I'm kind of very curious with the MLR doing the draft and assuming in the future, let's make the assumption that Canadian players are also going to be eligible to be in the draft, um, hopefully next year. But if not, I hope um, sometimes in the future. Um, but like, so that's, I'm curious to see how that dynamic is going to work. Yeah. Teams setting up academies in a league that's also doing a draft. Um, and I think like, cause I think it's going to be interesting. Cause it's like, you know what, like, what if there's a scenario where you have a player that's like, Hey, like, you know, a, has been going to uh, say the free Jacks Academy since he was like 14 years old, he gets all the way up. He goes to school somewhere he's in playing, you know, he's playing in school that makes him eligible for the draft. And then he gets drafted by Rooney. Right. And it's, yeah, it, you know, and I think, I think that MLR will then have to put, like, if they are going to continue with the draft, it's it's going to be system. It's be interesting. They're yeah. going to need to have every team have an academy system, so that way it's but that's but consistent, that's, right? So 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 if if they're going to do the draft and I can draft from any any academy, I'm going to need the league will want to have everyone to have an academy, and you know, but and then like, maybe maybe one academy gets pilfered a little bit and mm-hmm. you know they they have to adapt a different way. Oh, it, it's. But it's that's, the that's same what, argument about like getting kids from like Ontario. Like any kid, anybody can draft an OHL kid or a Q kid. If like yeah, they're but, looking but for the a forward, the difference though is like the Toronto Arrows own their academy, right? No, but none of the NHL teams own an OHL team, right? So it's like they're not the property of it. Like it's like. Like, yeah, so if, if so you, you make it that that yeah. So can, but but that would literally designate somebody like like the expansion drafts, right? Like you have to designate a certain well, amount of people that you want to protect. I, I think then, I think you're kind of like I think I feel like you're kind of missing like the key like difference though cuz like in hockey or whatever like the OHL players aren't owned by the NHL. Like the NHL teams aren't putting in any resources into their development. Whereas in MLR, if you're building these academies up, you're directly developing that player. And then if that player were to go to school, as many players should, because you're not necessarily making enough money out of rugby, you need that backup plan. So these guys should be going to school and then therefore going into that draft system. But it's like, okay, so now now say, you know, you've gone through the Arrows Academy till you're 18 or whatever. You kind of went to school. The Arrows put all that that money and that time into investing with you. You go to school. Now you're drafted by a different team. But the Arrows were the team that kind of developed you. And is that going to cause like some sort of conflict? Do they need 
to kind of figure out some yeah. sort of rules for that. Because like what I'm trying to get at is like in Europe, it's strict a cat straight up academy system. Or in North America, most of the leagues do a draft. Right now, the MLR looks like they're kind of building towards some sort of combination of the two. Right. And how is that going to work together? Um, Brendan Sparks um, of the Utah Warriors was on MLR kickoff earlier this week. He had some thoughts on how this is going to like, although it, it doesn't sound like there was necessarily any like formal rules discussions yet, but he had some thoughts on how that may work. Um, so those are pretty interesting. So I would recommend going to check those out if you haven't heard them yet. Um, his general kind of stance was he doesn't like, he doesn't want to do anything that would prevent a player from playing professional rugby. Um, so, I mean, you probably would end up with teams going, but it would be interesting to see if there would be like some sort of like, compensation like maybe if you draft you know yeah. it's like maybe there's like a okay sweet if you draft one of our a guy from our academy you get here's five thousand dollars of cap space as like your compensation or something because yeah I, I don't know i don't know yeah there's I'm lots of ways like things. like again like some leagues do the player chooses certain teams that they're allowed to get drafted by yeah, which like, could really could can make like like partnerships between different teams kind of work out like yeah there, there's a lot of different ways yeah, that this works but I agree I, I my point was saying that MLR will then if they're going to do both will need to set a kind of a an academy standard yeah like there, all the lead teams will have to follow because you don't want would, yeah you don't want Toronto the you know the arrows to be dumping in a whole bunch of money and and having their team tour and train and play a bunch of meaningful games and then like you know the guillotinis having their team meet once a month for like a like a scrimmage you know so i like, like i think that's that's gonna I be think, really- i think you want the investment and stuff obviously i just i think you know if you go going forward it's just it's gonna be interesting because it's like i feel like say like say in 15 to 20 years this league like really takes off and stuff and some of the players that you can identify um at a younger age start becoming like really talented players it's like do you want to see those guys walk because they have to enter the draft after going through your academy um so like I don't know it's 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 an interesting thing right like you don't usually see like I don't I can't think of another league that has like an academy system and a draft um Stu anything academies But doesn't MLS have an academy program? I think well they ha- I think they have, but I think they have an academy program. TFC has an academy program is it not? Do they do a draft though? Draft is a very North American thing so Yeah. Yeah so doesn't MLS have an academy Let me just have a quick check. So, so my other question about this is, what what do you guys um, prefer? Well, I'm from being from the UK, only really know like the academy system, and then teams just signing whoever they want whenever they want, and that's how you can get some big name signs. So, for example, it would have um, if we were to put this um, with the arrows in context. Do you think we would have been able to sign Tukele if um, we would have? been mandated to the draft system or and then you can have these big names come in that you know are going to be there for your team that aren't going to be going away on international duty um but then again this is also a sport that is now with its target audience being north american and i think for a lot of fans to have a draft in place just builds on that familiarity with uh, the big four sports in yeah. north america like, I mean, LeBron James didn't wasn't part you know was able to sign with the Lakers and he wasn't part of their academy program. Like big star signings still happen in draft leagues. Like that's yeah. still very common. Um, but I, I actually honestly I prefer the academy 
side of it. Um, I think that it develops a lot more of a like regional love with the fans because they know that that like the majority of their team is going to come from the area that they grew up in, and and the players kind of take a little bit more of it to heart. You know, saying that I grew up in Ontario, I you know I'm going to start my career with Toronto, and you know if greener pastures come after, then maybe they move on, and it happens. Like you see it in rugby people leave their team. That's, that's, that's just mm-hmm. part of life. Some people, times people have deeper pockets somewhere else, but you know, I think that it's a really cool, I mean, hockey used to be that way. You know, the Toronto Marlboros used to feeder, be a feeder system up. And so did the Kingston Frontenacs. Like, you know, that, that used to be the way it was. Um, yeah, but back uh, in the, way back in the original six era. Yeah. Well, you know what? I've, I've been watching a lot of Murdoch mysteries, so that's where my brain's at right now. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so apparently, so that's I'm, just my my personal yeah. preference. I, well, I like that. On, on checking quickly, so it does look like. I mean, I I don't know anything about soccer. Um, do not watch it at all. But it looks like the MLS does have some sort of academy and draft thing. Um, so that's interesting. Um, but uh, so, yeah, yeah, so it, it, it is but something that's out there. So I don't know. I don't know how it actually works though, because I, I I just googled it quickly on my phone. Um, but I think. Like I, I think ultimately, like I think I don't know. As a North American sports fan, I like I'm used to the draft, right? And right, so it's like that's something that I I've come to expect. I'm fully, you know, I fully expect to have see players go, you know, elsewhere wherever they were trained. MLR maybe it's a little bit different because obviously guys you know aren't necessarily making enough money, so it's like the younger players. It's like you have those considerations and things like that. But yeah, and that's the thing I, too is we'll, we'll, yeah, we so we might I mean, not maybe, ever get to that point right where where players are going to want to make those big moves across the country just because yeah, of and then maybe, salaries. Yeah, exactly. So maybe, maybe ultimately like the combination is going to be the thing that ultimately works. I'm just I'm curious to see how it evolves is I guess the point that I'm yeah. kind of overall oh, trying you. to make here. I'm curious to see how that kind of evolves and what they end up doing. If there is going to be any sort of rules for that, or if they kind of, cause I guess, I, I mean, I don't know, looking at, I guess the MLS does it. So the major league rugby has been following the MLS formula to a T. So, um, you know, I guess if, if it works, it works. Um, I'm just, I'm curious to see the, the evolution of it because, you know, the combination of a draft and an Academy, um, is is something that is a little a little on the more unusual side right so um it's kind of like the uh, hybrid system of what we're used to in north america or what Stu would be used to in europe so we have mentioned the free jacks academy program already today and we've mentioned them in the past we kind of went down what our favorite uh teams were from their from their uh they're selling cool... they're selling merch now by the way you can pick yes up the, you can pick up the night watch shirt on the free jacks website now derek and like a like feverish frenzy sent us multiple yeah. messages about it and he's like very it. excited the, about the free it. jacks shop is cool man they got some it cool is. stuff on there um, so gentlemen, what I want to do is have a little fun with this whole new Academy program is I want you guys to name, uh, some team names for the West, the central and the East. And I'm going to start with Stu. All right then. Well, I know there are my three designations, um, but I've just come up with three names, not based on geography. Um, I looked at the coat of arms of Ontario to get a few ideas. Um, one, one team had to include like maple leaf at some description. So one team called. I think that might be copyrighted in Southern Ontario, though. Yeah, <laughs> there might be. 
I don't know. I don't know if the Toronto Maple Leafs is going to fly as the name of a rugby no, team. No, no. Okay, so the um, the first name I have is the Golden Maples because on the because um, it's a gold leaf on the flag, Golden okay. Maple Leaf. All right. Um, All right. Also on the um, coat of arms is a black bear. So the Black Bears, I think, would be a pretty good team name. Just take the logo for Bristol Bears and instead of blue, have black. And yeah, you're sorted. Um, There's other bear logos. We don't have to steal from another rugby team. Copyright infringement aside. Stu's like, call the team the Central Bears and we'll just take like that spoke C, make it orange, put it on a blue background. (laughs) We'll look nothing like Chicago. Don't worry, guys. (laughs) Um, And then... Uh, I know there were there's like stags and does and um, deer on the red, but I went with another animal, probably the most fearsome animal in all of the Great White North. So my final team name is the Fighting Geese. Ooh, all right, all right. I like that. That's fun. That's fun. That sounds. Yeah, I, I did want to go along like the River Punks kind of line and have something <laughs> yeah. called like the Rail Jerks or something. But uh, no, I, those are the three names I'm going with: Golden Maples, Black Bears, Fighting Geese. All right. I don't know. I don't. Uh, Gold Fighting Geese, I think, is the best one of that of that group. There, I think that's the. Uh, I think that's the the clear winner out of what Stu has suggested. Okay, so I kind of went with on my idea. So the Toronto arrows, as we've discussed, are named after the Avro arrow, um, the aircraft that was developed here in Southern Ontario by Avro. And, uh, you know, there was a whole, there's a whole like political controversy about how the government didn't let it go through, but it was supposed to be one of like the best fighter jets in the world. Um, so you can kind of go read up on that super interesting plane history there. So for that reason though, Super that, interesting. Super, it is. It is, man. Go dive into it, man. There's some really <laughs> like the uh, all the like the government kind of hiding in. It was a super controversial decision. Not hiding, Listen, I'm sure I'll find it on it. an episode of Murdoch Mysteries, and then I'll I'll ca- catch yeah, up I'm with sure, it. I'm sure. Well, isn't that showing like the 1800s though? Uh no, it's currently like turn. It's turn of the century, so I'm at the 1900s. Okay, so cool. So you got like 40 years to go before you even see this. So yeah, I'm sure at least 40, 50 years to go. All right. Um, but either way, so I kind of went with. The Avro Arrow was the most famous plane that Avro made. So I went with, if you're going to call like the uh, the academy, academy teams, I went with their Avro's other planes <laughs> as the names of the teams. So we would have the, they're not bad, man. The Canucks, the Canucks, okay. would be one. Yeah. The Canucks yeah. they had an Avro Canuck. There was another one called the Avro Jetliner, um, which is kind of. Yeah, it's what uh, it's what they named it. It's, that's a literal description of the plane, I think. Um, there was also the uh, what they kind of built in collaboration with the UK division of Avro. There was also called the Avro Lanecaster, um, so you can do that. Um, and then the original name of Avro Canada before they kind of merged with that UK division because of Canada British, you know, obviously the Allies and the Commonwealth and all that. Uh, World War II history and stuff there. Um, so they were actually used to be called Victory, uh, like Victory Airlines. Um, so I think you could go with call one team, the Victory. Um, just, you know, the Free Jacks had a team called the Champs. So, I mean, I think that kind of goes with that theme there. Um, so, I yeah, I would kind of go with that. There was also one plane that they just called the Advanced Fighter 
Um, so I feel like the advanced <laughs> fighters, maybe we can go with that. Um, but I feel like the best, the best options here, I think to me are the Canucks jetliner. Canuck, maybe you can shorten that. Canucks do the Jets, call it the Jets, maybe shorten jetliner. Um, Canucks, Jets, Lancasters. That's what I would So do. we're just two two out yeah, of three uh, teams are NHL. I just thought teams. of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, hey, they all yeah, exactly. Well, hey, I mean they're all like the Jets are literally named after planes. So yeah, it's it's hard because yeah, there's also the New York Jets. So it's like it, there, there there's a few right, Jets you know out call, there. Call, call them the call a team the Avros. I guess that's an option too. That's what yeah. I that kinda, I like that yeah. is my favorite one. The yeah, Avros. I like that. The, the Av- yeah. There we go. We'll do the Avros. We'll do the Air Canada team. I don't know. Go with air. I'm going with airplane. That was okay. what I. That was my idea. Maybe it was half-hearted. I so I, I'm, I'm going geographically. So from the west, I, I said uh, the Golden Shoes because most of those teams are in the Golden Horseshoe. Golden Horseshoe. Okay. Okay. Central. I'm calling them the Central Fishers. Like not like like fishermen. I'm talking like the fisher, like like the weasel that like terrorizes farms in central Ontario. They're awful and they're terrifying. So that's what I want in a team. And then in the east, they're the eastern stags. I yeah. that one it wasn't as it wasn't as creative as the other two, but that that's what I that's yeah. what I got. Hey Bill Webb, if you're listening to this, don't hire us to do marketing for yeah. your franchise. The fishers, hey, hey, I'm hey, proud of the fighting geese. The fighting, you know what? The fishers though, they're pretty menacing. You could do really cool, like weasel, like kind of like the jackal yeah. from like Dallas. I think that could be really good. Or we can I go with like really the. We can just go with. We can go with like the archery. We could call it like go archery. Do like the Hawkeyes, Green Arrows, and <laughs> what's another arrow name? Um, <laughs> The archers, the the uh, Robin Hoods, the, Rob, the Robin. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, no, all right, uh, we're moving on from this debacle, which I thought was a good idea earlier in the day. <laughs> so uh, MLR also released um, a five-ish minute video, and they called it the State of the League video. Um, George Killebrew kind of sat down in front of a camera and talked about um, all the things that have kind of happened. Um, in the you know the first 2.5 years of MLR and also what has happened since he took over and he mentioned the TV deals he mentioned um kind of the 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 big kind of stopping points of what have happened in the league and then his kind of goals for the future so my my first question guys is did fans really learn anything of substance from this or was it just Killebrew kind of puffing his chest about the things that have happened in the league so far I think it's, uh, yeah, there's very little in terms of substance um, to talk about. He does talk about the growth of MLR from uh, its first season to its fourth season. So we started with seven teams. Now we're about to begin the fourth season with 13. So nearly double the growth since when it started. Um, He also talks about um, the potential of how MLR could benefit um, North American rugby should a World Cup come in 2027 or 2031, saying that MLR would be anywhere between 10 to 14 years old and compares that with um, soccer in that when the first uh, World Cup came to the United States, there wasn't a professional league in place similar to MLS is now or MLR would be should the United States or Canada host a rugby World Cup. Um He also focuses on the word entertainment a lot. Now, when I say sports entertainment, uh, I don't know about you guys, but 
I definitely think of like WWE and pro <laughs> wrestling and things like that. This is exactly where my brain darts. Darts, uh, I really kind of put into that hey, sports entertainment. Let, it's, I'm not knocking I, it. I, 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 if, if darts are on, sometimes I'll watch it because I am fascinated by how people go and watch darts live. But that is very much a sports entertainment event. Well, this is my point if, to go back to WWE is that it's very uh, nice to also compare with like the NFL as well, because both have a signature showpiece to highlight the emphasis of the, their multi-billion dollar corporations. Um, they both develop narratives about the participants in question. Obviously, for WWE, it's a um, superstars. And for the NFL, it's the AFC and NFC champions, I think. Yeah, you got it. Yep. You got it. You're on a roll, Stu. Woo! Got the, uh, got the uh, initials right. Um, <laughs> but they are both also feature... Um, musical showpieces to break up the action and to attract fans who aren't necessarily wrestling or football fans to watch and pay for their product. Um, both set huge, huge TV record uh, figures. Um, so I looked it up and of the top 30 most watched TV events in US history, 29 of them are Super Bowls. And since 2010, all but one Super Bowl has had over 100 million domestic viewers. What's the now, one? What's the one TV event? That I was going to say that was my exact Super Bowl question. or the one, the WrestleMania. One that, the one that passed is actually is the finale of Mash. Wow, that's Ooh, true. Right, interesting. Um, so I have never watched a single episode of that show, but I oh, massive. for shame! Yeah, I've, that, I no. love Mash. <laughs> But the point I'm I don't even is, I know nothing. Ah, go on, Stu. I know nothing about Mash. I if, don't contribute so, to this conversation. If the MLR could even get one percent viewership from the most recent Super Bowl final, that would still be over one million viewers in the US alone. And that would still be double the twenty nineteen final. So when and when George is talking yeah, about a lot of people watch the Super Bowl about yeah, lots of people watch the Super Bowl and a lot of people watch WrestleMania and both of them can neither be fans of football and they don't have to be fans of wrestling, but they know what that event is. And people will tune in and watch it just to be yeah. like, hey, it's on, let's watch. And if you can develop a following behind MLR, even to, like I said, 1% of that extent, then you have like a million people watching. So when George is talking about entertainment, he's talking about, you know, the fan experience at sure. these events or the experience you get from watching on television. And because he also talks about um, the growth of TV audiences in MLR and that's how they started with uh, CBS Sport Network and have now got ESPN Plus and Fox Sports 2 and in Canada TSN. So there is little substance in this video because obviously he, I guess that if this year this year's season had happened, he would have been able to talk about like, oh, we've had this amount of growth for 2020. Obviously he can't do that. So what he is talking about is something that can be built upon and it does does seem to be that the 
like 10 year plan or 15 year plan is that when, not if, when a Rugby World Cup comes to North America, Major League Rugby is going to be paying, playing a key part in helping develop talent, helping develop the audience and helping promote the sport in North America. And you, you know what? I don't even think we need to look outside of rugby to talk about a fan experience that brought in a lot of a lot of fans. Like, look at the last Canada Sevens tournament in Vancouver. You know, uh, they had at one one of the days they had almost forty thousand fans there. Right. Like, that's a great example of it was a fun, entertaining product that not. I can't imagine that that there was forty thousand avid rugby fans at that there had to have been some of them that were just there to just see the event right that that's that is what mlr needs to tap into in terms of a fun event it's something that's got a little bit of everything there's people dressed up in costumes you know that that is a fun party and i know sevens a sevens tournament is is very different it's, it's able to be fast and quick and you know different things are happening but like there is a a want for rugby it just they need to figure out how to tap into that yeah i think obviously what you guys have both said like the fan experience and killabrew definitely hit on it is probably the most important thing and i think but i think too though it's like i completely agree with what you guys are saying on how it's you know it's key to bring in like there's a butt coming oh there's actually no butt coming there's actually an and coming though Uh, um I think I completely agree with what you guys are saying on that. I also would like to add to it, though, in saying that it is also a key thing to have people that are already rugby fans still need to have fun at these games. Right. So you still need to do that. And I think, you know, it's professional sports. Right. So no matter what happens, you kind of and I know a lot of teams are going to rely on a little bit of that hardcore rugby fan base and they have to bring their friends right now. And what I am getting at here is, is like those fans also still kind of have to have fun, though, like the diehard rugby fans. And at the end of the day, in Major League Rugby, every year, no matter what happens, there's going to be one team that's the champion and there's going to be one team that finishes last. The thing with the league, though, is it's like all 13 or however many we grow to all those teams still have to sell tickets, no matter if you're first or if you're last, you still have to sell tickets. And like you want to do that too. It's like to attract that diehard rugby fan as well. It's like, you got to play like a fun brand of rugby and stuff and fun brands of rugby can be, you know, subjective depending on which fan you're talking to. Um, But like at the end of the day, it's like, you don't, like you need to make sure that like diehard fans are having fun and people are having fun, but you also need to make sure that if you are on say, say the Austin um, Gilgronis last year or the Austin elite last year, right? They were Owen 16. They're terrible. Um, but as ultimately at the end of the day though, it's like you want to still have fans at your games, even if you're terrible. Right. So it's like, you have to do something to make those fans have a good time, regardless of the actual result of the game. Mm-hmm. Like the ultimate goal for any sports franchise is like no matter what the scoreboard says at the end of the 80 minutes, everybody in that arena should have had a blast at it. Right. And like if there's and, you know, if you have that diehard rugby fan that it's like there's nothing in the stadium to keep them like, you know, 
entertained or enjoyed or whatever and the team loses they might leave like upset like oh we played like junk today yeah and i think i, I like, sorry sorry derek i think that mlr has the benefit of there isn't a solid like 20 years of heartache no. in fans yeah no for sure that, that they, they don't care that they're not like that they're gonna see a loss but that's i think that you're still gonna have people come and say oh well we lost but the other team played well as you know like right we haven't built that point of okay. like like the ottawa yeah. senators or the maple leafs like if they have a, a horrible season fans aren't gonna go because they're like oh we've seen this before you know yeah well unless you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then you're infallible, and you can sell at a barn no matter what. But oh no, no listen! A couple of years ago, the year before Austin Matthews got drafted, yeah, they, they had a ended, couple of games where they did not. They, yeah, did not they have had like sellouts. two or three out of the forty-one home games but in that season. Comparison to what they yeah, normally and, do, that was they, a huge. And then they signed Austin Matthews and have it not had a sold out since. Um, like yeah, the Leafs are a different, and and even at that, that was at the end of ten years of like not making All the right. playoffs either. Poor comparison. That's Poor, that's on comparison. me. That's horrendous on horrendous me. comparison. Um, but I think ultimately though, like even like those diehard rugby fans. So like, if the team is bad, are you more or less likely to ask your friends to come out? If the team is bad and the fan experience isn't very good, but if the team is bad, but you can still guarantee that your non rugby fan friends will have a good time, you're more than likely to bring them out for sure. Right. So I think like that's the like that to me is like the key thing is all to me, it's all fan experience. The actual rugby um, is going to like the actual rugby is going to follow, right? You need to introduce people to it and you're going to have people that are coming out to it that are brand new to the game that aren't going to understand the rules. Let's be honest. It's complicated. Although, you know, most sports are complicated if you're just learning them for the first time anyways. Um, And if you don't believe me on that, go try to explain a sport to somebody that knows nothing about it. It's bizarrely hard. Um, but if you, I, I think that's the, the key thing though. It's like, you gotta have, everybody's gotta have fun, man. No matter what the scoreboard says, you need the fans to have fun. And like the fans having fun should not rely on whether or not the team wins or loses. And even with that, it shouldn't like, obviously too, like you want to play like entertaining brands of rugby, but some teams are going to have to play some of those more, uh, I guess some of the more boring styles of rugby um, in order to win too. Right. But ultimately winning is the most fun brand of rugby that you can play. Um, You just can't be boring and stink. Boring and stink is the worst. You can be fun and bad or fun and great, uh, or you can, yeah, but you can't be bad and boring. Um, so, like, that's also kind of a consideration, too. But I think it all comes, to, like, yeah, the fan experience to me, most important thing. I'm probably rambling on a little bit now, but, yeah. I have to use the washroom quickly. Right. Uh, i got a question for you guys. I'll be right back. Okay. Yeah, I've never seen Mash either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you couldn't say that while Dan wasn't doing that. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I don't even know. Oh, oh man, now now that Dan's gone, you're gonna back me up on the you haven't seen Mash, eh? Um, so Killebrew also mentioned this was a very interesting number uh, that I found in this video is that MLR is talking to nine new ownership teams for 2022. Now, again that doesn't mean we're going to get nine new ownership teams in 2022. That just means that there are nine interested ownership groups that are saying, Hey, we're thinking about, you know, answering the bell for joining MLR. Um, So guys, I want to hear from you guys. Who do you think the nine ownership teams are? And it could be who you think it is, who you want to be. I have my own list. So I'm interested to see where we match up. So, so, uh, Stu, you got to go first last time. So, Derek, why don't you go first? Well, um, 
realistically, um, so we kind of know that. I think we kind of know that like Chicago is kind of one of those teams that is in the running a little bit already. Um, so let's assume that they're one of them. Um, I think beyond that, like I don't know, like if like the Ohio Aviators kind of re, re uh, reigniting for the tens, if that's maybe that's a fun indication that they're looking to get that franchise back up and running. Um, Miami has been a city that was also linked to an MLR team with the former owner of RCT Toulon as well. Um, so, and now they're up and running with the, uh, the 10 series too. They have a Miami, the Miami Suns are in the 10 series. So maybe there's, um, you know, the tinfoil hat conspiracy theories. It's like, Hey, maybe there's something there. I love it. Ultimately though, I think Chicago has to be one. You need Chicago. Um, I still say that we've been saying that for a while. I think, man, I go with the, the same thing that we talked about the last time that we did this, to be honest with you. Um, I'm just going with, if I, if, if, in a perfect world, if you would be like, where do you put the next, let's say, three MLR teams or whatever to get the league up to 16? Um, saying Chicago, Philadelphia, and San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, the whole Bay Area there um, as the next three biggest media markets that the MLR doesn't have a team in. Um, and then beyond that, you got Tampa Bay, Phoenix, Detroit, Minneapolis. I already mentioned Miami, um, Orlando, Cleveland, which would I guess would be the Ohio Aviators can kind of claim that area maybe. Um, Sacramento, St. Louis, Portland, Charlotte, Pittsburgh. I'm just going through the biggest media markets yeah. now that Derek's, don't have it. Derek that's all didn't I want. actually do his homework, so <laughs> I'm giving him an F. Stu, I'm moving to you. Who did you pick? And I hope you did a little bit better job than than Derek did. I'm just saying that's I just think that that's the places you should target, man. Go after the biggest media market. So give me nine. You got to I asked you for nine teams. I didn't give you nine. I just kept rifling off the next biggest media markets. They don't have teams in. Yeah, um, I've kind of gone down the similar route because the question was, thank you, who you think are the cities? not where do you want them to be? But, uh, you know, I've okay, I've mixed mine up a bit. So they're not all going to be in the United States. So, you know bit of variety um i have uh, i will agree that chicago if if one of these nine teams um will be a team by 2022 um like we've discussed it before it it's you know the money's on chicago coming through with an mlr team um that year but uh i said that the other place i've um gone down similar routes i've said uh, philadelphia uh, minneapolis san francisco bay um Phoenix. Um, I then made a difference for Miami. I've said Tampa instead, okay. um, just because it has All right. a, a, a team in Florida media audience. Yeah, a team in um, Florida. That's fine. Yeah, um, but so we'll uh, put them so, in Jacksonville. <laughs> okay, so those are those are my six from the uh, U.S. and then uh, in Canada, I've said Vancouver. I think we all know that. We're waiting for a Vancouver team to be announced and, you know, the Arrows to have a Canadian rival in MLR. Um, I'm also going to say Montreal. I think a a Montreal-based team um, uh, or a team in Quebec, if I'm going to be even broader, um, would be a fantastic addition. Again, another – it is Canada's second largest media market after – Toronto and ahead of Vancouver. So if we are going down the media market route, 
then I'd say that. I also think um, appealing to a French-speaking audience would um, be beneficial to any of our listeners who are watching across the Atlantic in the land of the top 14 as well. Um, and then I've gone on a bit of a wild card because I've chosen a city that does fall under Rugby America's North, um, but isn't mm. in the United States mm. or Canada. And this would probably have its local games either with San Diego or the Texan teams because this city is Mexico City. Okay. And you know, it's funny, I, I saw there's some banter online talking about um, if if uh, Slar would, would, you know, implement, you know, kind of creep up north and take, you know, Mexico or is MLR going to take that uh, route? So it, it, it's almost kind of like a, like a, I see Mexico, especially if they continue with their sevens program. And I know they're very active in the, the, um, the tens tournaments down in, in the Caribbean. It, it might be a future battleground for, Slar and MLR to duke it out and see which way it goes. You know, do they stick with their Latin American uh, brethren, or do they kind of go for the the big the big fish of the United States? Uh, it's it's interesting, that's for sure. It'd be interesting. Like it, I, it's also it is also kind of I guess in a weird interesting way too. I like none of the other major North North American leagues have a team in Mexico either. Um, so I don't know. I I don't. I'm not like. Like, I don't know if that's a place where I think I feel like that's going to be one of those things. Where it's like if that were to eventually happen, the league's going to like grow a lot more. And maybe Mexico might end up having to get a little bit better at rugby, too. But maybe, maybe. that door opens with the, uh, you know, the CRC or not the CRC, excuse me, Mexico and the CRC. That would be fun. The ARC um, would uh, maybe with the ARC now kind of opening the door for promotion relegation. Maybe that can open the door for them a little bit. Um but I feel like I feel like any I, I, honestly I feel like any team in a different country in like a country outside of the United States and Canada is a long long ways down the road. But I mean, the argument could be made is it. that that it's a smaller sport, so why not? Because the costs aren't as high, and and does, you don't need a hundred thousand seater stadium like you would. There were talks about the NFL and stuff like that. So yeah, it would be interesting. I like where your head's at, Stu. Yeah. Um, um, on the subject of like the NFL, they have done um, like the same way they do like the London series of games. Over the other my homeland, they also have done the games in Mexico as well. And there was rumors of the champions of MLR and SLAR playing oh, yeah. a like exhibitions of champions game in Mexico. So. Yeah. Maybe. I'm not saying it's not possible. I think right now, though, too, the other thing, like until the MLR gets the visa thing figured out, because it's like even now, like Canadian players have a hard time playing on American teams and stuff, right? Yeah. How do how do you show that you're at the top of your? Yeah, exactly. You're going to add, of your add sports. a third country to that. That could be tough. Or even just like the, how do you show that you're the top of your sport in your country? For Mexico, that it's a cap. It's a cap. It's but like, a cap, right? But so know, that would be your players and stuff. But it's also like, you know, is, is it going to be hard for them to get American players? Is like, how is that going to work? Um, like, yeah, because we've, we've already seen a lot of the visa issues and stuff. And I'm not sure if, like, at this point in time, it said, I was like, I don't know. I'm not saying never or anything, but it's just like, that would be, I think adding a third country to a league that already has visa issues um, with the two countries, like even like Jason Higgins is on Toronto, partly because Rooney couldn't get him a visa. So he went to a Toronto, right? So um, 
like it's like it's a league that already has visa issues and i'm not sure adding a third team right now like with the with the context of the question being like killabrew talking about 2022 i i don't feel like adding a team in mexico would be like beneficial for the league at this point in time but the future would be a different conversation yeah um so i i also had my miami chicago ohio um i i didn't look at the ratings or the 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 the, this the the population sizes, so I I had Pittsburgh instead of ah uh, I said Pittsburgh over pencil uh, over Philadelphia. I mean you know didn't I don't really know the difference in sizing. Um, I also had Montreal. I also had Vancouver. Um, the three teams that I had that you guys didn't have, um, Hawaii. No, no, that's not happening. Come on, we know that's not no, happening. no. We know they're not. They're they're still in discussion. It's, yeah, that's that we're not saying they're joining the league. It's just that they are in talks like, with I MLR. Mean, if, so if, they're still in discussion with them. Yeah, uh, I, maybe I mean maybe maybe a different ownership group could do a Hawaii team. Maybe there's a lot of logistics. I still find it hard that like I may, I, after after what happened with Super Rugby, maybe they circled back and 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 kissed a few boots yeah, and said, "I'm sorry." People, people are quitting now, like Kilgore, Kilgore quit and stuff. Right. So it's like the, the organization as a whole is falling apart. It's not. Yeah. But they haven't, they haven't stopped. They haven't shut down yet. So like, you can't say that they're not trying because one guy left. Right. Well, like we, we don't know. Some, I don't we don't know. But like, this I think Mexico city has a better shot. I'll put it that way. To joining the league. Yes. But not to having discussions. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were like I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's going to be Hawaii. I don't think. I don't think it's be Hawaii. I don't think at the very least it'll be a different. That's not what we're talking about. At the very least, also Hawaii is not a city. But continue then. Fine, (laughs) you got me there, Derek. Neither is Ohio. So I said Cleveland. I said Cleveland. No, but I said Ohio. So you're going to drag me over the coals for that one? Yeah, I am actually. Um, I also said Portland. You know, I think I we've said seen. That one. I, I mentioned that I, one. That was one of the bigger media groups. I think that that's that's a that's a that's a uh, sports fan base that shows that they're rabid for sports, especially with their soccer. So I think that that's a nice little get that little Cascadia rivalry with Seattle, yeah. and then if we can get Vancouver in, it would just be so much fun to watch. Yeah, especially all, 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 all they really have there too would be. Um, what the Portland Timbers in the, the Timbers and then the trailblazers in the NBA. And then I yeah. guess college football and all the college sports associated yeah. with Oregon and everything. But so I think that that could be a good little fun, little, little mix up there. And my last team is uh Las Vegas. All right, I'll give you that one. Yeah. No, they, one. they have a few stadia available already, as we know. Yeah, I mean, we we saw that they've got the stadium. They didn't have the fans, but they had the stadium. Yeah, so halfway there. They're halfway there. there. I wonder. Go. I wonder if. We and it's not ever... like there's no money in Vegas. Like there, there's tons of money in Vegas. I wonder if we'll actually find out what the nine cities are. If they'll have, if they'll actually like release that and stuff. But that'd be interesting. Yeah, the thing if they is, did. like, I don't think they will. But that'd be interesting if they did. But it is very exciting to hear that nine ownership teams are looking to add capital into the league and have you know, again, they're they're 
their teams and ownership might not have the funding like we've kind of found out with Hawaii or even just the systems and, and sponsors and arenas and literally anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is exciting to hear all this interest in MLR. Okay, guys. Um, so another little tournament happened and started today. Um, the World 10 Series uh, started um, this morning in Bermuda, and it started off quite rocky. Um, the SX10 team had to bow out due to a uh, positive case in their team. Um, and unfortunately, even though it was one person due to uh, Bermuda's strict COVID laws, um, they all had to isolate together. Um, and that meant that they couldn't play rugby, which was quite disappointing. And even the, the timing for the event was pushed back a day because of a hurricane. Uh, so very, very strange starting to this. And then I, I didn't even get into like Phoenix rugby's whole situation with their team and how they had a bunch of players not being able to play. But what have you guys thought about for the first round so far? Because it was quite an interesting little experiment, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I thought I watched a little bit of it today. Um, been been kind of busy with uh, attempting to move during this crazy climate of a world that we live in. Um, so unfortunately, I didn't really get the biggest chance to watch as much rugby as I would have liked this week, um, which is also a weird side note on um, uh, I tried to watch the uh, premiership final, the Exeter versus Wasp, and I turned it on like this earlier today at like noon to like sit down and watch it and Sportsnet's on demand thing, cut it off at one o'clock. Cause it's, that means it's been up for 24 hours now. So I only got to watch like the first like 50 minutes of the game before it literally was just like mid video cut off the website. Um, so that's, I didn't realize Sportsnet did it like that literally. So that's kind of annoying. Um, but um, hopefully I can find the remaining half an hour at some point later. Um, but I thought, honestly, for the 10s, though, um, because I didn't watch that game, it allowed me to watch some more 10s or find the time to watch more 10s anyways. Um, and honestly, it's it's pretty fun, man. Um, I don't know if it's just like I miss North American players playing rugby, um, but it was like, yeah, it was like it's it's that we really, I think, obviously, with 10, 10s, it's like it's halfway ish between sevens and 15s or whatever and it's got that weird like the forwards are still kind of grinding it out there's still a lot of like the hard rucks the scrums are still there with the five guys but it's kind of also has that open space that you're kind of accustomed to in sevens um with so with that has that pace and that creativity of the players um so i think ultimately it was a lot of fun i thought to me i thought the one super interesting thing um, with seeing it was the the conversion rules um, where you get the the spots being like the one, what is it? One, two, three, and five, depending on where yeah. you kick from. Um, I thought that was super interesting. Um, and I mean, also with like being able to change on the fly, um, it, which is also kind of a very interesting thing or being able to change as many times as you want. Um it was like, like, I thought that was an interesting one. And it's like kind of looking at this and I'm like, I, we saw, we saw SEMA hit a massive five point conversion um, for Ohio. We saw uh, Carl Mayer hit a five point conversion for the rhinos. And, and I'm kind of like wondering if it's like, I don't know, like if the strategy of this league, I kind of going further, it's like, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I would try a five. I feel like if I'm a coach, I would try a five point all the time. 
unless I only needed one point to win the game. I feel like I would just be like, just have a guy, especially if you can bring him on whenever, just have a guy that just has a massive boot. Like, you know, like leader is filming all these videos of like doing drop goals with footballs from like 60 meters out for, um, uh, with the free Jacks camp there. So like, why not have a guy like that just on the roster to just come out and hit like monster conversions for you? Or whatever. It kind of seems like I wonder if that would be like a genuine like strategy thing going for because Seema well, they only talked came about Seema only came on the for three subs. seconds. Yeah, Seema yeah. came on for three seconds to hit that or whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay, I mean, like maybe that's a thing, man. Go with a, I wonder if that would open up like a specialized guy to just be like hit five because it's like realistically, if you hit a five point conversion, it's like you just scored two tries. Like that's kind of, I guess that's really what it is, right? So it's like I feel like because even when um the rhinos score like when ollie not scored their try um so shout out to some of the canadians down there um but when ollie not scored the rhinos try to put them ahead and then mayor hit a uh five point conversion it was like oh this game's over now like there's an, a 12 point leader 11 point leader whatever it was right so it's um it's it's interesting um I do kind of like it. I'm interesting to kind of watch a lot more of it. I know we're recording this on Sunday. So the rest of the tournament, they're the first rounds tomorrow. Um, and then obviously the couple weekends be going beyond this. So I'm, I'm curious to really kind of get the chance to sort of sit down and really dive into the game and check out how kind of coaches are handling the strategies and stuff. But um, I think it was a lot of fun from uh, the, the couple of games that I did watch earlier today. So, I arrived late to watching it because I got my times mixed up. And so the first thing I saw was a one point conversion and say like, Oh, for the first time today, we see they're going for the one point. And I was like, Oh, look, they've changed the conversion scoring. Oh, that's it. that's an interesting approach. Cause I know they'd changed the penalty kicks are now two points instead of three. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh, it's a continue. And then after watching for a bit, I was like, Wait, how was that conversion one, but this conversion is five? Yeah. Or why are you talking? Um, obviously, I then clocked on to the fact that I missed important information. Um, <laughs> so I ca- so I caught up on the rules, um, got distracted by the Aviators' stunning kit, which is yeah. London has wonderful. good kit too. London's London's yeah. kits just like I think there's a lot of teams at this tournament that just have have like crazy designs which I also love but like London's is just clean, clean. It's, it's just a clean good but that's it, it, that's it's it's English right that's yeah that's no it's what English I look. it's what I expect from London yeah. it's just clean and classy and I love it but yeah for some Ohio's reason I don't want to call them the, the the Royals I want to call them the lads. English lads, <laughs> just because it looks like, like a bunch of lads yeah, running around. See, see, man, we we have this is why we don't name teams. We've it, we've t- discussed this. Uh, these look like a bunch of lads. Things. We don't name teams. That's why. And the women's team, the lasses. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, as in, um, so that conversion gambit rule is interesting. Um, I I'm not entirely sure, but because that's the thing, if you can have like rolling players and you can have your kicker come on for like the second before your teammate like pins the ball down in the corner or anywhere it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter and you have like a monster boot on you that can hit those five point conversions all the time it may make it redundant but well that's what 
I guess that was my whole thing. It's like, why wouldn't you just try it though? Like if you just scored a try, like I, I feel like the two, three or the ones is just kind of like, Oh, that's all we need to win this game in like the last couple of minutes. But I feel like that's, beyond that, I'd just be like, just try the five. That's like, right. Yeah. Cause I, I, I think the worst case scenario is you try that two or the one and you miss and you'd be like, well, you might as well just try the five then if you're going to yeah. miss anyways. I think what will happen, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll happen like, this um, tournament or this weekend or whenever is that eventually one player they'll do something like this they'll have a quickly sub off a player to have like their monster kicker come on and then they'll just blast the fight and they'll just basically exploit the rules to the point yeah. where it's like Does okay, it- either we change the um, rolling sub rule or we change the conversion rule yeah full full NFL style just to have a kicker it's yeah. the guy that kicks conversions, <laughs> whatever. Because yeah. you have there, there are guys that can kick a ball like a mile. So you might as well. Yeah, like Robbie Povey as well. He's yeah. been showing some of his kicking videos. He's been punting that ball pretty hard. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I I caught the first couple rounds this morning, and I was uh, playing with my daughter, and we watched a little bit, and she very much enjoyed what she calls a rug ball. Uh, so it was it was fun. Yeah, like you can definitely tell some of the teams had a little bit of a. Um, identity crisis when it came to whether they were trying to figure out if they were going to play this as a 15s game or a sevens game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was probably um, the, the aviators problem in some of their games is that they, they weren't really kind of making a decision one way or the other, which style they're going to play. Like the Royals, I felt played a very much a seven style yeah. where everything else was kind of just arbitrary. We're going to play this like it's a sevens match. Um, and it's, and so it was interesting. It was it was fun to watch. There definitely were some slip ups. Uh, you know, ball handling was semi optional to some of the guys. And you know, it's it's bloody hot down there. Like they're saying, there's around 30, 30 degrees Celsius, and like it's a different type of hot than what we ever deal with in Canada. I can I can only imagine how how they're dealing with it. So and and then again, like this is some of the hot, like the the this is everyone's first touch of rugby in a while feels like forever so i i you know i feel like that'll come um i myself am confused about what the future of this tournament and we're going to talk about that um uh later on um so yeah i I really enjoyed it um i wish they they cleaned up the rocks a little bit there's some times where i was watching where i'm like the player safety part of this is is a little questionable um and you know the announcers are kind of like talking up the refs and I'm like, uh, if we can have this cleaned up a little bit, like sevens, it never looks this like as aggressive and dangerous as this. So I feel like maybe that's just one thing that like post tournament, the refs get together and say, okay, let's see what we can do about cleaning this up a little bit. That would be my only real like gripe. And that's just from a player safety um, side of it. Um, so uh, my second question about the world tens guys, is there has been, there been anyone individually that's impressed you so far? Um, from from what you've watched, uh, for me and anyone who's been a fan of sevens or England sevens, know knows exactly how good Dan Norton is, and he now goes down in history as being the first uh, player to score a try in the uh, World Ten series. Um, but and you know, obviously he's um, a sevens legend, um, and. Obviously, you were saying that he uh, and the London lads were playing a seven style of game. And I remember 
Um, I think it was like the game against the Miami Sun. One player was running along, stopped, and turned around to offload his ball, which is a very sevens move. I don't think you'd uh, get away with that in fifteens. I think you'd just be like knocked clean off your, not clean over, and just uh, have to do the standard uh, tackle procedure. But um, no, Dan Norton is. Um, a player who's played the majority of his career in the sevens. I think he's now joined London Irish, although... It's just a short-term deal, but yeah, yeah, it was a... Um, But but he is a lightning-fast winger or fullback. I'm sure he can uh, move around whichever position he can. Um, But he also... Not only does he know how to play sevens, he also knows how not to be tackled, which (laughs) is obviously a great thing when you've got a bit more room to move around on the pitch than you have say like 15s because I think that all the sevens boys did well that were picked for um, whichever team they were in and it was the guys that are mainly doing 15 struggled a bit more like they as you said this is the first time they've been playing rugby in a few months to say the least. Yeah. There's some guys that looked at like a tad less in shape than, you know, we would have seen them last in MLR. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, like poor Patty Ryan, you know, got hurt in his game, but you know, I've de- we've definitely seen him in, in better shape when he was playing for MLR. So yeah, I, I agree with you that there were some, some 15s and I don't even think that it was the forwards per se that looked like they were exposed. Like, I think that there were some like, uh, you know, forward players from I think Rhinos Rugby and and the Aviators, especially, both had very aggressive forward packs. I don't think that they got they were too bad, but there were definitely others that were very much exposed. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and I think, but I think it's also just a factor of playing styles as much as how you played as well. So obviously, I'm assuming these guys have done a bit of practice with one another, but obviously being in a game environment is completely different to the practice field. And, you know, some of these things that you're so used to, you're so used to having saying that, okay, I've got, um, you know, eight guys in the scrum, uh, two wingers, two centers, a fullback, then the scrum half and fly half. And you're used to, especially when it comes to a defensive effort, having, um, up to like 15 guys in a line and now five of those guys are missing and if you're used to having 15s you now realize oh there's a gap that needs to be filled this player needs to go over there whilst if you're a sevens guy you're like great we've got three more guys on our field so uh you know we've got um more help at hand because anytime they can find a space they'll know how to like avoid being tackled as dan norton has quite clearly shown and uh get over the try line and uh you know, maybe, you know, if the conversion is missed, it's fine. You've already got five points, but, uh, you know, I've, so I think the sevens guys are doing well. Obviously I'm going to assume by next weekend, obviously with a weekend of games under their belts, the 15s guys will be able to, uh, tackle the sevens guys more effectively. And, you know, maybe there won't be a, you know, complete, uh, I don't want to say whitewash because we're only halfway through, um, this weekend, this weekend, these two days, um, round of games. So yeah, I think that, um, you know, they'll improve with time and, uh, looking forward to tomorrow and definitely looking forward to next weekend. Yeah. I think 
I think that's going to be one of the the interesting things about tens though, is like, I'm excited to see how guys adapt and like what the interesting strategies get figured out. Um, You guys are talking about players maybe not being in the best shape and maybe part of that is COVID, but like, I wonder how coaches can use that, like the unlimited subs to their advantage to kind of negate that. Right. Cause it's like, I mean, hockey is kind of the king of unlimited subs in sports, right? So um, I wonder if you maybe you kind of even utilize that, like be like the whole, like the idea in hockey, you go up is kind of like you never want to have a shift that's more than 45 seconds. You kind of go up the up the ice once, up the ice back, and then get off at your best opportunity. And it's like, maybe that's maybe that's a thing that they kind of go with. And it's like, you know, it's like you, you go up the pitch once, come up the pitch back. And I mean, that's probably going to take a lot more than 45 seconds, but um, like maybe that's the thing. It's like, hey, bring on the fresh guys now after, you know, a couple quick uh, quick runs up the field. Keep everybody fresh. Go back on. Who knows? Maybe that's something that'll work. Um, I think, like I said, like the interesting strategy with the conversion kicks, I think, is interesting, too. And, you know, what kind of style of game you're going to play. So I think like I've been having a. I think that's kind of been the, like from what I was watching. I was just kind of like the coaching of it and seeing how the guys choose to utilize their players has been fun um for a specific player i thought aaron matthews looked really good for um rhino rugby i was super like i was like because i mean i've been like watching the draft and i'm like man like seattle has a player in this kid now man like that was um he had the like the one of the, the rhinos games that i did watch he had um there's like a little turnover and mikey Teo kind of pops the ball to him and it's just the absolute cleanest, most accurate grubber kick you could possibly have. Um, and Carl Mayer just kind of runs onto it and finishes up the try. But the best part was when they showed the, um, like the, I guess the reverse angle from inside the try zone and Matthews kicks it and starts celebrating before Mayer even grabs the ball. Um, (laughs) and I love, I love the attitude there. I love the, I love the confidence to pull that play off. Um, and I mean, it's like, yeah, dude, Seattle. Wow. That's that guy looks like a hell of a player, man. Um, so um very excited to see what he does in MLR next year, but in the near future, excited to see what he does in the rest of this tournament too. Um, but that, that was the one guy that really caught my eye in the uh, handful of games that I watched. Yeah. I, I, wholeheartedly agree with Derek. Aaron Matthews was a revelation for me with this tournament. I think that's what this turn. One of the great things is, the little tournament's going to do is show us some players that might be underappreciated and really highlight them. Uh, yeah. I think that his versatility really yeah. shone as well. And he, he was all over the place. I saw him, you know, play the nine position, play the 10 and then, you know, be second receiver, you know, so he was all over the pitch and he was really fun. Uh, Nick Boyer um, had a really good game against the, um, the Phoenix rugby and it's fun. He's just a fun player to watch, whether he was with uh, San Diego or Glendale or Colorado. Oops. Uh, last year, uh, he's just a fun player to watch. And he had amazing hair. So he was, I, I enjoyed that was, watching. That was the play. one play because he had that one try where he picks the ball out of the back of the scrum, scrum and, and just runs the whole way. And I was like watching that. I'm like, oh, that's interesting because there's no loose forwards to stop that. Yeah. There's no flanker to like yeah. come off and stop that. The uh, the second row guys obviously have their heads down. And then I guess that scrum half kind of read that play wrong and was no yeah. near Boyer on that side of the scrum. Um, but aside from that, it was like, oh, like there's no like there's no loose forward 
forward. There's like, there's no flankers. There's no eight men to poke their head up and be like, where's this guy going to run and maybe try to break off and stop that. It's just, he just down the side and then makes a couple of nice moves and um, does a great try uh, for the Miami sun. DTH also had a uh, try there too. Um, for that club. So uh, nice to for see sure. him back scoring some tries, making Canada proud still. So guys, unofficially, uh, the World Tens has kind of had this this um, unofficial relationship with Major League Rugby. Um, you know, they took a lot of their teams, like the Ohio Aviators is made almost up of all MLR players. Um, and each kind of team has a little bit of speckling here and there. Um and even during this this tens, we even saw one of the players playing the tournament, Josh Larson, resign with New England Free Jacks. So you know, uh, good to see that he got signed back again. He, we can get to watch him again. Hopefully, we'll be able to see him live this year. Um, but what I want to ask you guys is, how can World Tens and MLR kind of work together to be successful? Because there's been conversations that talk about how. Um, we've talked about how we've wanted to see maybe like a seven circuit where MLR teams put teams in, but could this possibly be a way where MLR and this world 10 series join together unofficially, officially, and, and both the league and the tournament could benefit because this seems like a way that you could fill the pockets and the calendars of MLR players. Yeah, like I, I think it kind of depends on how World Tens wants to proceed in the future. Like, if they want to kind of go that sevens route and have like a full season, that might make it really difficult. I think a tournament like this, in where it is right now, um, obviously also being in Bermuda, um, let's like I'm going to completely ignore COVID in like this discussion of this idea as well. But it's like I think the best way for like if you wanted to have something where the MLR and the world 10 series could kind of coexist, like it has in this tournament where you have MLR players going to, well, this is considered round one, right? So like, the, yeah, they, they plan on doing more and like, they've talked about how the SX 10, well, they're all going to like right now they're all in Bermuda though. Right? Yeah. Like during what is it? A three weeks stretch here. Um, so, but like, I think like going like, so if you only play for three weeks, that might be easier. But I mean, if you did like a world, sevens kind of idea where it's like you're playing like for months on end um but i think like i think the the best way for it to work um if you're going to have that mlr presence and you have mlr players going i think the best way for it to work is they just have to do it in the mlr off season um because clearly as we have learned right now it's not like their contracts don't prevent them from going um, so like we clearly have learned that, um, and obviously they're playing for club teams, not like those national teams. Right. So it's like, clearly they're not being, the MLR is not preventing them from going. So I think, but like, I feel like if you, if you had overlap or it was like, this was during the season that would create a conflict. Um, but I think like, if you were to go right now, I, the way it is right now, I think that's, I think that would be the thing that you'd have to do. It's just, it'd be another rug, another rugby tournament that happens in the MLR off season. And then the players can go, um, if it's short enough that it's not going to conflict with any official MLR thing or even, yeah. And like, like you look at like some of the, the players that are at this, I mean, like Mikey Teow and, and you know, Josh Larson, there are big names, but like TH Vandermerver. But what I, what I'm saying is like, if they did it in the MLR off season, when there are test matches happening, it's not like they're being absolutely gutted. 
No, you know, no, like no, you, exactly. you can still you have. Could, you obviously won't have the test match guys going. No, this but you still have. There still are enough MLR stars that could take part in this, and sevens guys, and you know, like there might be, there might be a few, you know, after the Olympics, a few sevens guys that are like, uh, I'm kind of done the whole seven circuit, but maybe I want to take a a shot yeah. at this. You know, like uh, there there are possibilities yeah i think it'll just come down to what kind of format world tens if this is successful world tens wants to do going forward um and i think if they want it if you wanted the mlr players there you probably just have to make sure it doesn't conflict with the mlr season in any way and that could i don't see why that couldn't happen it's happening right now this is obviously a super bizarre year so maybe in another year maybe they mlr wouldn't be as willing to let them go who knows but I don't see why they wouldn't because it's just their players playing more um, but and making more money playing professional rugby, right? Guys, obviously, MLR players have gone back to the Mitre 10 Cup in the offseason and then come back too, right? So mm-hmm. the MLR hasn't been preventing players from playing rugby in other competitions. Um, but you can't, you just can't play in a competition that conflicts with the MLR directly. So avoid that and they're probably okay. Well, I've got some bad news for you boys because I went on the tournament website and they state the Thames World Series will continue to wow spectators in 2021 with 16 teams set to compete in 12 tournaments across the world. What what are the 12? Like one, like, okay. So I know what Bermuda is doing right now is over three weeks, but would that be under like next year with what they're saying? Would that be three tournaments? So but they're just doing so this, so this in is the all same they've city? given. So they haven't given oh, no. a breakdown of where these um, uh, tournaments Obviously, will be yeah, yeah. or if they'll be back-to-back in certain locations. Like we, Even the Sevens World Series yeah. normally has anywhere from like a, a week to a month or well, a couple months like, between. The Sevens uh, World pictures. Series The Sevens World Series tournaments are one weekend though, right? So that's what I'm trying to figure yeah. out. Like, is this... Because this obviously, like tomorrow, they're not declaring like a winner of round one or something. Like, there's no final, so it's like, no. is a tournament going to be three weeks long, or is a tournament going to be one weekend? So, is it, like, are we talking about a twelve week season, or are we talking about a thirty six week season? Like, how does that? It, it doesn't say. On? I'm it, looking it, at the it, same it, thing he's it, looking it, at. Yeah, it's, okay. It's so, literally yeah. a one a one sentence line of saying sixteen teams, which is double the well, original. Um, if you did, dep- again, though, depending on the time of the year, right? Like if you did 12 weeks and say you did that back to back, that's three months. So you could, in theory, do that during the MLR offseason. One, one thing I can but, kind of compare it to is um, the current uh, captain of the Ospreys, uh, Justin Tipperick, mm-hmm. um, in 2018. Um, was given the opportunity to go to the Gold Coast for the Commonwealth Games to compete with yeah. Wales for their sevens competition. And um, admittedly, at the time, he wasn't uh, the Ospreys' captain, but he can... was a prominent member of the Wales squad and, you know, one of the, the, one of the first 15 that would be picked for national 15s duty. Um, but he did have experience in the sevens and said that if the opportunity presented itself, he wanted to take part, um, Mm -hmm. didn't win a medal. So I don't know if, uh, Wales were like thinking that they could, but, uh, you know, the opportunity presented itself. So it may be a case of 
say, um, you know, members from MLR teams that are, say, come back from injury and need um, warm up. You know, to, yeah, a warm up. Yeah, the conditioning stints happen a lot in, in baseball and hockey. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see yeah. how this works yeah. out. I'm not, hopefully, yeah. it's possible. I just. I just Honestly, it, as, as up until today, yeah. up and up until today, I didn't even know if it was actually going to happen or not. I yeah, thought it was all fairy tale and fun until fun. I actually saw rugby happen. So I mean, w- watching the games, it's fun. I'm going to definitely watch the yeah. rest of the tournament because it was a lot of fun. So moving on, and uh, hopefully yeah. it keeps growing, and uh, maybe it'll develop into something really cool in the future. So, guys, to finish up, we've got a little bit of America's news, and then we'll finish off with uh, something that'll probably make stew upset but uh we're gonna Which start with everything that we say i think yeah probably uh the south america four nations um has kind of take part in the last week and a half um and has some very interesting outcomes and if you guys want to see kind of get a little cole's notes spark notes about it um Check out uh, Hardline Rugby. Um, that is uh, Stu's little brainchild, and he has done some fantastic recaps of all the rounds and all the matches. So um, if you need a catching up like I did, that's where you should go. Um, but, gentlemen, there's been some games that, uh, like I said, have had interesting outcomes. Uh, which games kind of have raised your eyebrows the most? So uh, Chile's pretty good, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, who thought that building a high performance center and getting a new coach in would, you know, turn their fortunes around? Yeah. Well, uh, well, clue. yeah we built a high performance center and we got a new coach. Where's our results? <laughs> Where are our wins? Well, we weren't even invited to this tournament. Yeah. yeah. Canada was undefeated in 2020. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure COVID's tossed us a few losses. Yeah, okay. That, I'm pretty sure Rugby Canada's gotten a like, few losses from COVID. <laughs> they haven't um, lost a rugby game, though. All right, fair. All right. Um, I'm going like, to agree. Like, Chile have done fantastically well. Um, so, for those of you that um, – I'll just give like, the quick notes. Um, they've beaten Brazil on Wednesday of this week – last week from when this podcast was released they beat uruguay and the previous saturday very almost beat argentina and i think that is the game that um raised the eyebrows the most obviously you can say things like oh it's the first game that argentina have played since the world cup and therefore and also it's not all the guys that went to the world cup this is the argentina 15 so not all the first 15 for argentina aren't playing so it's not the same um chile led that game for the majority of it for 80 for over the 80 minutes they led for 60 minutes and very nearly won the game. If they hadn't um, committed a penalty 40 metres in front of the posts and Argentina didn't have a kicker that would have nailed that, no problem. Chile would have been lifting the trophy uh, this weekend instead of Argentina. This is a team that has declared that they want to be in the conversation when it comes to 2023, when it comes to the Americas qualification qualification um, opportunities because for 
all World Cups, it's normally been between Canada and the USA of who gets America's one and who gets America's two. And then Uruguay are told to pick up the scraps in the repercharge tournaments, um, with the exception being of uh, 2018. But uh, let's not go into that. Um, but Chile have definitely made the intent known of like, we want to qualify. We want to be playing at the big boys table. And yeah. we're tired of just being ignored and they've clearly made an investment with this development center and with this new coaching structure and it's paying off it's especially paying off when the other team just like nods their head and go like yeah sure mate uh, we'll see you in uh, four years chile for the next tournament no if canada and the usa don't pay attention the same way that argentina didn't in their first game they're going to be exposed and that's a that's got me worried about Canada because if they don't pull their finger out and get their entire thing in order by the 2021 ARC, Chile are going to show them up and who knows, maybe Chile may even jump them to be one of the Canada, one of the, sorry, one of the America's choices for the next Rugby World Cup. Yeah, I think uh, the big story coming out of this tournament was Chile, um, you know, I think I saw earlier today that try that uh, Jose Lorena scored for Chile, um, which was on the backs of Rodrigo Fernandez, kind of just starting a counterattack, get, receiving the kick and just slicing his way through the uh, Brazilian defense. couple offloads later, a little a little nice bounce off a kneecap um, to put the ball over the try line. But um, it's it was it was kind of like that was a class try, man. Like it's. Uh, watching them, it's like, like it was like, wow, like these guys have improved immensely over the last year, which was kind of like, I'm kind of like, I don't know if it's just because it's like, oh, wow, like, you know, like nobody's been able to play rugby this year, right? So it's like, like to see that improvement in this such a bizarre year, it was kind of, it was surprising. Um, I think the big thing for me, it's like, if you are going to kind of go with the hit the panic button and stuff, like, I think, I still think, in all honesty, like as much as we maybe criticize Canada sometimes, I think like Canada is certainly capable of beating the United States, Brazil, Uruguay, um, Argentina, 15 and Chile. Um, there's no like they're, they're certainly capable of doing it. It's just a matter of if they can put it together to actually do it. Um, the difference now, though, after watching Chile is like. I really like the last time Canada played Chile in the 2019 ARC, it was what 56, nothing Lloyd Lloyd had a hat trick. Yep. Um, it was just like, it was like a drubbing. It was like, like, it was like, there's a clear like level gap. And I feel like, you know, watching Chile in the ARC the last couple of years and against Canada, it's like, I was always just like, you know, no matter what happens in the ARC, it's like Canada should always get one and it's going to be Chile. Right. Like no matter, like, I don't see how Chile can beat Canada. And now watching this, I'm like, oh, Chile can beat Canada or whatever has now kind of the thought that it's like they can do it has now kind of creeped into my mind. And that's not to say that Canada can't beat Chile because Canada can certainly beat Chile. Um, But it's like, that's going to be a way tougher game. And it's like, I said, man, they beat Brazil. They beat Uruguay. Those are teams that have put away Canada in the past. And this is kind of an interesting tournament in the sense that what were they going with? Like 26 man rosters. Yes. 26, 26 man rosters. It wasn't officially capped. So it's a little bit different than a test match and stuff, but it was like the squads that Chile, 
like the squad that Chile beat in Uruguay was pretty solid. And the Brazilian team that they beat today was pretty good. And, um, you know, they kind of show too. It's like, they got, uh, looks like they got a really good goal kicker, um, which we have seen in a lot of rugby matches that can go a long way, man. Oh, especially um, the Canada's last game against Brazil. Josh Reeves yeah, just, just killed everyone. Booted us. Yeah. Yeah. Booted us. And it was like, yeah, take a penalty, sweep three points. It's, um, yeah, no. So like, I thought, like, yeah, I think that's that's my only concern, though, is it's like I think this tournament is you're going to if we're going to talk about if you're concerned about Canada or whatever. My only thing is now that I, I, I the only way I feel is now I've gone from there's no way Canada should ever lose to Chile to Canada could probably lose to Chile. And then right like that's the only way yeah. that I've kind of that's what my only transition is like I can now see a loss happening, whereas before I was like they would never lose to this team. Um, but now I'm like, oh, like. This, I mean, this could happen. You can't, can't, don't sleep on Chile anymore, man. They just, uh, I, I hope, I hope teams, I hope the United States, I hope Canada is like, kind of look at that and be like, yeah, wow, all right. And next ARC is going to be a little bit different. So, um, the last game Canada played against the U.S. Uh, against Uruguay was that heartbreaker uh, where Uruguay scored in the last minute to win in mm-hmm. uh, 2019. Um, that lineup had three players play in that game against Chile in this four yeah. nations tournament. So it's definitely a very different, a different lineup roster. Yeah. Different roster than what Uruguay's normally used to. So who knows how much chemistry this lineup had? How many, how many guys were on the Brazil roster? From I did not check that. Yeah. That would be interesting as well. So again, very different lineups. Um, yeah, no, it's and, and, and uh, again, can, like you can tell they're playing well, though. That's the thing. Oh, for sure. Oh, and they're like there, well. there, there's been talks. There's talks about guys that that showed up that you know either lost, you know, uh, looked like they had added muscle, and others that just are are, are new new players to the the program, you know, and that's what a high performance training center does, does that yeah. that gets it, it finds those players and gets them into the proper shape so i'm excited to see what chile can do against uh, a, a program like canada i think the way i'm seeing it because otherwise my head will explode is that this is an amazing opportunity for canada to test where they are you know i've been saying this matches in i've been saying this that that canada needs to start playing people in their zone like in in their their level of of ability you know they should be playing more games against russia and chile and and i say uruguay even though i mean uruguay's probably light years ahead right now but like that's where they need to go i think they need to move away from playing the big names even though those are those who pull them in you know like like ireland and scotland what do you prove by getting drubbed by them um, I know it's a money thing. You got to play, you know, those teams so that way you can pull fans in. But uh, the the ARC is where they should be. Exactly. I, I think where they should I be. think games like that will be important for for Canada. So I'm excited to see what Chile can do next because <laughs> honestly, I don't really want to watch a a drubbing match. It's it's not good TV. It's not good oh. sport. Like it's just I I want to see a competitive game. Like. Say what you will until the World Cup, but most of Canada's games were competitive. It just Canada was never able to either pull away or hold a lead, and so mm-hmm. it, you know it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how these matches turn up in 2021 if the games are played. 
So the last thing we're going to talk about was a big deal in the rugby world. And I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. The Barbarians game. And many of you guys would know about this. The Barbarians were set to play England on Saturday. And I guess some of the Barbarians decided that they wanted to go have a little bit of fun on Friday night and broke the COVID uh, isolation restrictions. Also on Wednesday. I did not know about that. They went out twice. So, gentlemen, I'm asking you, in a COVID world where we have asked professional athletes to isolate from their families to, I mean, look at what uh, some of the super rugby teams had to do. Like, they were isolated from their families for a long time, if we're going to keep this in the rugby sphere. You know, not even just NH- looking NHL, at, like, the bubbles. NBA bubbles and stuff. Too. Yeah, like, 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 like this isn't, like, how long were the Barbarians even together? Like, two weeks? Two and a half weeks? Yeah. So... I, I'm, you know, as a either an English supporter or, you know, a Barbarians fanatic, you know, how would you feel if, if, if this happened? If, if this was a Toronto Arrows were set to play, you know, somebody and they did this, how would this make you feel, Derek? No, I think, I mean, we don't, we, I don't think we have to pretend, uh, like, put teams in different lights here. I think we can just talk about the specific game, but, like, yeah, I think I, one. If I'm Eddie Jones, I feel like there's nobody in the world that is more angry than Eddie Jones oh, at this point yeah. in time. Um, I'd because, be willing to give him a challenge. Oh, Stu is angrier than Eddie Jones. Apparently, <laughs> he's got his red shirt on. He's fired up. Um, but either way, before Stu just yells at San Diego Legion legend Chris Robshaw, um, we, I think. Yeah, like I think I think that's like I'm most angry if I'm anybody associated with England right now, just because you lose the tune-up game for a little bit of the Six Nations and stuff. Um, I think that's what I'd be most angry about. Um, and now you got you know you're going into that match next week, and it's like you, it's a little bit cold, I guess. Um, but I think. Yeah, like I, it, it's just it sucks. I know like the RFU is out a ton of money because they couldn't play the game, so it's like they're probably not happy about it either. I mean, I guess like the fans and stuff. Obviously, like you do lose out on a couple of cool like Rob. That would have been like Rob Shaw's last game at Twickenham. Um, like even though there would be no fans, like there's a lot of like really, I guess, really cool storylines going into this game, and I mean. Um, the Barbarians are obviously one of those teams that's kind of like it's an invitational side. Um, partying is a little bit of the lore of that club as well. Um, and kind of the the fun banter that happens when those guys get together and go on tours and stuff. And all, you know, all part of, I guess, the invitational nature of what the Barbarians are. And they're obviously, you know, one of the classic club teams in uh, all of rugby. Right. So, um, So I think from that point of view, it's just like. It is like you said. It's just kind of like, like, yes, yeah, like you couldn't just like Uber. Just, like, I don't know. Just get get some. You couldn't just like go to the hotel bar, yeah, like, like, like the hotel rooms or wherever you were supposed to go, um, right? And it was like, and then obviously, like, there's videos coming out and stuff that for like from the angles of the videos, kind of looks like that person was like sitting with them. So it's like, why are you guys filming any of this? Um, yeah, why are you letting anyone film? Why are you? Well, yeah, there's but, so like, many there's things. So, there's so many things, but it's like I think the ultimate thing is it's just like I think the worst part is it's like when the list of the, some of the names that came out and you see guys like Robshaw or Wigglesworth and like Maitland and stuff. It's like, oh, these are like the veteran like guys that would you yeah. be like these would be like the leaders of the 
team. It's not like these are like, you know, it's not like these were like, oh, like, you know, the traditional uncapped guy that's on the Barbarians or something going out, right? It's like, oh, these are like the absolute like legends, Half, like the Saracens players that aren't playing anymore. Like yeah. they're all out there. And it's like, ah, oh, that's just, it's just ultimately, it's just like disappointing. And it's like, why? Like, it's really, it's just it's like, why did you guys, like, I just know my question is just like, why did you guys do that? I mean, like it's COVID-19, you're told to stay in a bubble so you can get your like, sports game off the ground like it's yeah just just do I mean, it. all right Stu, how are you feeling buddy how's it going how are you how what do you want to say the mic's yours when i first heard this story break and it was just oh there's 12 players that are rumored to have gone out the next thing i saw was that at the top of the list was chris robshaw and I don't think my fury's gone down since. It's it's offensive what they've done. This is the Barbarians team as an entity is 130 years. It's 130 years of rugby tradition. It's been able to survive going from the amateur era into the professional era. The legends of the game that have been able to put on the Barbarians jersey and play are staggering, including like Richie McCaw. And these guys have thrown it away. And not only that, the opportunity for themselves to play in this jersey, but the opportunity for their teammates who followed the rules, stayed in the hotel, which has a bar. And I don't even care about things like the match fees, which are a million pounds, which now the RFU has to reimburse to Sky Sports in the UK or the international deals to show these games. I don't understand how a player of Rob Shaw's caliber would think that this was remotely okay. This is a player that captained his team to their worst performance in World Cup history, going out in the pool stage of their own World Cup. And he held himself together with such grace and posture. And people were saying that even when Eddie Jones comes in, this has to be the guy that leads the team forward. Obviously, that didn't happen. And, you know, age became a factor. But people respected Robshaw because he earned respect. He was... People would say, like, he's a great player, but he's also a good guy as well. He's one of the guys that you just want to get to know more about. And I haven't even gotten into the fact that this is during a time in which COVID has killed over 44,000 people in the UK. This isn't something that you can just brush off and say like, oh, I didn't know about it. And I know these guys have posted apologies on social media saying that they've let themselves down and let the teams down, but that doesn't excuse them doing the action in the first place. This was an offensive end to what should have been Rob Shaw's Grand Slam swan song on the biggest stage in English rugby. And he threw that away. And that is what annoys me the most because he hasn't just lost my appreciation of him as a player. He's just lost my outright respect. He is a, he has tarnished anything he had because a few weeks ago, people were clapping at home because they couldn't go to the stoop for his 300th game as a Harlequin. And 
the other players that should have known better. What's the club that they represent? Saracens. You know, the one club that definitely needs worse press for its players. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't think about that. It's infuriating. Now, the only good news that has come out of this is that the RFU has said that those players that are going to be based in England are going to be disciplined because of this, because one of the big laws you can't do in rugby is bring the game into disrepute. Disrepute. They have brought the game into disrepute and they should be punished for it. Now, not all the players that are playing that have, were supposed to be playing were English or playing in English leagues. But I hope every league of which these players do play in punish them. They get punished. And, and that's the thing. I'm tripping over my words. That's how angry I am at all of this. But I, think- I am furious with Rob Shaw. And I did make the joke of that if the rumour was true that Rob Shaw had been one of these guys to go out and I now have physical proof because there's a video of him drinking yeah. in a pub with these guys that I was Ugh. going to buy a Barbarian shirt and wear it to a Legion game. Now, I don't think that he would ever do something as malicious as directly break uh, or get 12 other guys to join him to break these protocols. But if the Legion do come to Toronto next year, I am going to that game in a Barbarian's top. He has just lost all my respect. And he is a player. And in the same weekend in which David Pocock, an absolute phenomenal guy, has retired, and I would have originally put them in roughly the same bracket of being phenomenal players and just great people, I now have to scrub Rob Shaw's name from it. And I know that this will mean absolutely nothing to him, but it means a hell of a lot to me. Do you I have nothing to add to this. I feel like we should just, that's like, just I, I, have, that, more, no, I have more questions for this. I like this, but no, <laughs> uh, really I have two questions, Stu. And, and do you think this is how he's going to be remembered? Is this, is this going to be something that when you bring up Chris Robshaw's name 10 years from now, people be like, Oh, fuck. Do you remember when the the, no, the no. Baba's games? Stu just said he's going to be remembered for being the captain of the England World Cup that they didn't get out of the quarter or get out of the play-in round for their uh, the first round, the qualifying round. I'm tripping over my words because now I'm mad for Stu. Um, but yeah, he's, he's yeah. That my joke just got ruined because I couldn't deliver it. But yeah, 2015 World Cup captain England. He's also going to be remembered for that, which Stu pointed out was a bad thing too. I don't know. I'm just trying to help Stu. You want to feel I mean, the well, anger. and I think the other the thing that this pisses is, me off the most. I'm not is that leaving until Stu's green with purple pants right now. So this and, is the thing. This is so. If you talk to a Quinn's player or a Quinn's supporter, they will say that oh, he's you know Quinn's through and through. He's given a hundred caps for this. If you speak to an England fan, you'll say like, yes, he was in the worst performing. England team at the time, but then again, so was Owen Farrell, and he's obviously not treated in the same regard. I think Stu just likes bringing this up because he's Welsh. Maybe that. (laughs) But this, this is a big black mark against his name, because this is something that, you know, this game would have been happening in, I don't know, May or June of this year if it hadn't been for COVID, and maybe Rob Shaw would have been playing in that game then. 
But this, it wasn't a, like, it wasn't a ridiculous thing to ask. It wasn't, oh, we're going to send you to the other side of the world for, like, four months and you can't even communicate with anyone. It was just stay in the hotel for two weeks. Yeah, the standard was so low. And I, one thing that I, I saw as well that I, I, I thought it was a good point is that, you know, you talked about how some of his teammates were going to be able to play this game. I, I think about the other side of the pitch that there was possibly players that were looking to make their mark for England leading into, you know, their final six nations game. And then also, you know, the, the new autumn uh, test match series that they're going to be part of, you know, like there were guys on, on in England that were looking to make that their mark on this, this legendary game. Uh, against the barbarians you know covid you know bringing uh, bringing you know joy to rugby fans in the uk and beyond and then the other team uh, goes out and parties and so that opportunity is taken away from you and uh, you know we i don't think that england put out a lineup sheet yet so we, no, I don't, we think don't know even bothered yeah yeah I, I so we don't know who would have been on in the lineup but it could have been guys that you know could have gotten their first taste for England. I don't know how young, if there are any young guys in in the uh, there's a lot the training there's camp. A lot. Was a, there so there's a lot? Eddie took a lot. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing, right? So there's guys that probably could have won their way into their first Test match in, in the Six Nations game, or who knows what could have happened. So it's it's hey. it's tough. It sucks. You know, we don't need any more ball kicking here. You know, we've been kicked enough in the balls during COVID with with being. Just, I think we don't need this. What Chris Robshaw and other barbarian jerks. I think the one thing, though, that it kind of goes to show is we're kind of like the NHL bubble worked out pretty well. The NBA bubble worked out pretty well. The NFLs have had their issues. I guess they're still playing games and stuff. MLB had their issues. We see this, and it's like, I think it's like the ultimate thing is like none of these bubble scenarios or any of anything that the players have to do to keep this. Like it doesn't work without the players actually buying into it themselves. For sure. And I think that's what we ultimately kind of saw with the, uh, the barbarians here. And I mean, we know that, you know, going forward, it'll probably be a discussion um, amongst MLR fans until, until March when the 2021 season happens, whether you go with a bubble or whether you go um, with like, you know, traveling and everything. But I think ultimately, Ultimately, it doesn't it doesn't matter if the players themselves don't buy in, which I think is what we saw with the barbarians here. And um, yeah, I think I think I thought the angriest person about it would have been Eddie Jones, because like you like Dan said, you can't you can't like, you know, give some guys chances in the lineup. You can't really do any like you just you can't do anything. You can't do anything that you want to do. You just lost your tune up game. Right now, the English players are going in cold at Six Nations match. Um, so I thought the angriest person in the world was uh, was Eddie Jones, but apparently it's Stu Hardy. So um, technically, Ireland and Italy went in cold to their test match on the yeah, weekend. It, and look how Ireland did. So, I mean, it's it's true. They did. But it's like that wasn't the plan for England. So it messes up like their plan and stuff too, right? Yeah. Like if you're planning on that, then like, I mean, sure, but it's, yeah. I think I think that's the whole thing, though, man. Is I think you just, I like, I mean, I don't know. In a more calm toned voice, I think I completely I agree with what most of Stu said there. It was just, it's like I think that was the disappointing thing. It's like it's not. I wasn't disappointed that some players broke, like the COVID. It's like it's like you kind of look at it and you're just like, oh, like it's these legends that did it. Can you imagine, it's, can you yeah. imagine if Sidney Crosby or John Tavares 
Oh yeah, it broke, broke the bubble. Like it yeah, would have no. been national hysteria here in Canada. But you know what? We're gonna finish up to the, there, lads. Stu, I feel for you, buddy. Thanks, man. Have a good sleep tonight, and 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 hopefully your brain will be wiped of this this debacle. If you guys want to follow more of our uh, adventures into the podcasting world in, in North American rugby, uh, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram at Lou Rouge Rugby. Um, we have links to our previous episodes and on Facebook, we have uh, our video versions and also you can find us on YouTube at Lou Rouge Rugby. Um, so thank you very much, gentlemen, for what ended up being a very fiery episode. And hopefully, you just, just got really angry. We, we were probably calm until you mentioned the barbarians. You guys wanted to talk about it, man. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, it's true. It's true. It was fun. It was one of the best part of the episode. We shouldn't even. <laughs> we shouldn't even release the rest of this. <laughs> Enjoy your your week, gentlemen. And hopefully, uh, next episode we won't be so fiery.